Welcome to another exciting podcast from Living Faith Church. It's our hope and prayer that today's message will bring you closer and deeper to the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now here is our lead pastor, Pastor Dean Hackett. Israel was in great distress. Their nation was going through economic crisis they were being things were being destroyed through a locust plague their government leadership was corrupt and filled with intrigue the king had been killed in battle the king of judah had been killed in battle in the north he was fighting with the northern not uh, with the northern 10 tribes and he got killed in the battle His mother seized the opportunity for something that apparently she had been longing for for a long time. She seized the opportunity. She took the throne of Judah and had all of her grandchildren who were heirs apparent to the throne killed. Except one of her grandsons was secretly hidden away and protected from her and and he would come back and be on the throne. I mean, it's a little staggering, isn't it, to think about that a grandmother could be so craving power, prestige, and riches that she would have have all of her grandchildren killed so she could sit on the throne. I mean, that's staggering to think about. Unless, of course, you look at the world around us today, and then you kind of go, well, maybe that's not so far out there, you know. Well, it's out there, but it certainly could see how it can be done. But God gave the nation a prophetic word. He raised up one of his prophets. His name was Joel. And he brought a prophetic word to the nation at that time. And this was, this was his prophetic word. I'm going to have you read it with me, if you would, please. Um, there we go. Thank you. Everyone together, blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning... So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and the nursing babes. Let the bridegroom go out from his chamber and the bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the porch and the altar. God's message to Israel is this. It is time to pray. And he began calling his people to prayer. And he was urging them to declare a national fast. And to gather for prayer. And everyone in the family gather for prayer. Mom, dad, the kids, even the babies. 
and even, even the bride and groom that were, that were going to be getting married, stop the preparation for wedding, come pray. He called the spiritual leaders, gathered together at the house of the Lord and gather before the altar and weep and pray and cry out to me. It is time to pray. The nation is in trouble. It's in trouble economically. It's in trouble in leadership. It is time to pray. 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 And he didn't just call them to prayer. Look at his promise. This was his promise if you pray. Would you read it with me? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land. I'm going to pause twice as loud, okay? Here we go. Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. And the Lord will answer and say to his people, Behold, I will send you grain and new wine and oil, and you'll be satisfied by them. I will no longer make you a reproach among the nations. Wow. Look at God's promise. Now, now he goes on from that verse. He continues on. This is in Joel chapter 2. He goes on, and he begins making further promises to them. I'm going to bless all the people. I'm going to bring blessing. Go ahead and go to the next slide for me, will you? He says, look, here's my promise. I'm going to bless your farming. I'm going to bless your ranching. I'm going to bless the entire economy. And then he says, I'm going to bless the families, and the nation will be blessed and well-being. It's going gonna, it's gonna to have well-being. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be healthy. Some of the sickness, some of the stuff you've been wrestling with, it's not going to be there. I'm going to bless the land. I'm going to bless the land. He didn't stop there. Look at the next two blessings he talked about. He said, and they will never again be put to shame. And then he promised there's going to come a spiritual awakening, and I'm going to bring revival to the land. This is how he said it. And after those days, saith the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. God is promising, I'm going to open the windows of heaven and I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit and everyone's going to receive my Holy Spirit. Rich and poor in the cities, out in the country, I'm going to pour out my spirit on the young, on the old. I'm going to pour out my spirit. Everyone is going to see it. They're going to experience the outpouring of my Holy Spirit. Folks, that is what we saw. If you're old enough to remember, that's what we saw in the Jesus People Movement. That is what we saw in the charismatic renewal. All, all forms of the church in America was experiencing it. Episcopalians, Catholics, Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, non-church, they were all experiencing the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit because people sought the Lord. 
I don't know if you remember, I remember the call for prayer in Washington and thousands. We set a record at the, at the, at the mall in Washington, the largest gathering ever in the history of America for prayer. And it changed this nation. It turned this nation. Prayer. Prayer works, you see. Prayer works. I think sometimes we forget how prayer works. And we just think it's a religious activity. It's a religious movement. But all down through history, we see times when God did things simply because people prayed. In the spring of 1776, this was, they were gathered in Philadelphia working on the Declaration of Independence. Washington surrounded the city of Boston with cannonade and with arms that we had not had at the Battle of Bunker Hill the year before. And it was such a great force that General Howe took all of the British forces out of Boston, boarded them all on ships, and took his armada south down to New York. Britain wanted to gain the control of New York for two important reasons. The Hudson River was the gateway to the north but secondly, it would divide the colonies in half between the New England colonies and the colonies to the south. And so they wanted to gain control of New York. And so they moved the forces out of Boston south down towards New York. Now, of course, weeks later, they're going to complete the Declaration of Independence. And on July the 3rd, it will be signed and mailed to the king of England. But listen, August of that year, August 22nd, General Howell landed 15,000 troops on the southeast corner of Brooklyn on Long Island. Three days later, 5,000 Hessians came to reinforce the forces there, giving Great Britain over 20,000 military in New York area. The colonists controlled Brooklyn, but they had 8,000 in their military force there. 4,000 of them were not trained yet. General Washington and his, his officers and the Continental Army, remaining of the Continental Army, were across the East River in Manhattan. August the 27th, the British forces surrounded the colonist army there in Brooklyn. General Washington some of his officers were watching through field glasses from Manhattan. As the British made their push, the left flank and the center of the colonist army failed and gave way, and they retreated back. 
but the right flank was completely surrounded and they couldn't get away. Five times that day, the Americans tried to rescue the right flank. The fifth time, they almost succeeded, but fresh British troops came in and stopped the advancement. General Washington, watching through field glasses, said that day, good God, what brave men this day I will lose. But surprisingly, as the evening closed on the 27th, General Howe didn't complete the attack. And as the dawn of the 28th broke, the skies were filled with threatening clouds. And as the morning wore on, he still did not seize the opportunity. And that afternoon, rain started pelting down. By evening time, it was a heavy rain and a heavy northeast wind preventing the British armada that was sitting in the mouth of the East River from coming on up the East River. Observing that, General Washington called a meeting of his commanders, and he had a plan. It was a bold, daring had to be absolutely perfect to succeed kind of a plan. In fact, when he shared it with his officers, they thought it was foolhardy, but he insisted on doing it. And his plan was to get, to get several private small vessels with expert oarmen to row from Manhattan one mile across to Brooklyn and to gather the troops and rode them back across. It would be two miles round trip right in front of the British Armada. They would have to be very silent to not alert the British to what they were doing, but it was the only hope. And though he, though he was told it was foolhardy, he felt it was better to make that attempt than to make certain that his force would be completely destroyed and many of them taken into British war prisoners. They found the oarsmen. They found the vessels. It would take all night long and actually through the morning hours to rescue the men that were remaining. But they began to do it. The heavy chop, the heavy winds that night as they started at dark on the 28th, <clears throat> helped them. Back and forth they went all night long, carrying. At midnight, the wind stopped and the water on the East River became like glass. Now that helped in one way. They could load the boats with more men. In fact, many of them were loaded down to where the gunwales were just barely above water level. And the expert oarmen, they were masters. They almost made no sounds with their oars as they went the two-mile round trip, rescuing the men off of that. But peril was coming because as the morning began to dawn in the east, 
the sky was pristine clear. There had already been a miracle through the night as that sky began clearing at midnight. The heavy moon was shining. You could see the British men moving on the British lines, but for some reason, the British did not see the diminishing American forces. Oh, did I tell you that on the Manhattan shore, General Washington was on his white stallion riding back and forth up and down the shore in earnest, passionate prayer. You see, though many people have referred to General Washington as a deist, I have actual quotes from his own private journal where he documented clearly his experience when he knelt before Almighty God and in his own words received Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was a godly man leading our nation, leading our army, and a man of prayer. And he prayed back and forth across praying, crying out to God for those brave men that were running the boats and the brave soldiers that were being rescued. And as dawn broke that, that morning, let me read to you from Major Ben Talmadge, one of the soldiers that was rescued. He wrote this in his own journal. Those of us who remained in the trenches became very anxious for our own safety. And when the dawn appeared, there were several regiments still on duty. At this time, a very dense fog began to rise out of the ground and off the river. And it seemed to settle in a peculiar manner over both encampments. So it was a crystal clear, pristine clear sky making it possible the British could clearly see and the British Armada could clearly have seen the boats, but miraculously, as the dawn broke, a fog began to rise. I recollect this peculiar providential occurrence perfectly well. And so very dense was the atmosphere that I could scarcely discern a man six yards distance. We tarried until the sun had risen, but the fog remained as dense as ever. And in fact, as the journals of every man who kept a journal of those days was read, every one of them recorded about the dense fog that rose that day, making it possible. It took three more hours that morning to continue rescuing those men. And the last boat that went across, General Washington himself boarded off the Manhattan shore 
rode over to rescue the last men and rode back across with those last men being rescued. As the fog lifted, as that boat left the shore of Brooklyn, the fog began to lift. And as the fog lifted, the British were in total shock to realize that all of the forces of the Americans were gone. And they ran forward to the shore and began firing, but the boat was already way out of rifle range as they crossed to the other side. And every one, 1,500 men had been lost in the original siege and in the five attempts to rescue the right flank. But that day, every man that was remaining had been rescued because we had a praying general. We had a praying general. Prayer works. The fall of 1984, I received a phone call from a young man that was leading a Christian group on the campus of the Evergreen State College. Evergreen State College refused to let it be a recognized college club, but he continued to hold meetings for college students. If you're familiar with the Evergreen State College, you'll realize that it was a Marxist-leaning college and filled with sorcery, witchcraft. They allowed all of the other clubs that propagated those concepts of spiritism, but Christian Club was not allowed on campus. He called me and he said, um, I'm calling you because I have been told by several and I've talked to some pastors that you're a pastor that not only believes God heals, but you actively practice and pray for people to be healed and you see healings and miracles. I said, yes. He said, well, two of our students, uh, well, one of our students in the Christian club, she's a new believer but she's going to be doing a paper on healing through Christian prayer. In her biology class, all of them are doing papers on various forms of healing. Some are doing acupuncture and, and others are doing various kinds of, of, of healing systems. She's going to do hers on Christian prayer, healing through Christian prayer. And a part of the presentation is not just the paper, but a 20-minute presentation on the subject and, if possible, some demonstrations. And so uh, she's looking for someone that would, that would come and give a 20- to 30-minute presentation and maybe even a demonstration. Would you be interested? And I said, well, uh, let me meet with the two girls. He said, Okay. So I met them for coffee at a coffee shop just off the campus, and uh, as, I, as I talked with them, I discovered that the one girl was, uh, uh, had become a follower of Jesus just one year before. The other girl, she was not a believer, but she 
when, when the girl announced her topic, the class made such fun of her that this girl stood up and said, I'm going to be her partner because she was mad at the class because of how they had mocked her for doing it on Christian prayer. And what she said, she said, but I'm interested. I really don't know anything about Christianity, but I'm interested. And so both that young lady shared her testimony. I shared my testimony with her, how we came to Jesus. And we didn't want to slam her with it, but we, we just shared our, our brief testimony and then said, you know what? Tonight, ask God. God, make yourself real to me. Just, just ask God, make yourself real to me. So they shared with me what they wanted to do and what their objective was. I agreed to participate with them. We were about, uh, a, if I'm remembering correctly, a week to 10 days away from having to make the presentation. And so I went to earnest prayer. I shared with my pastoral staff what I was going to be doing. I, at that time, I had, uh, I had five guys on staff with me. And I said, this is what we're going to be doing. And so they agreed to pray with me for it. My, my deacons agreed to pray with me for it. That morning when we got there for the presentation, we were in a typical college lecture hall. If you know what they're like, the things go up the wall and you're looking way down where the people are down there making the presentation. And the, the, the group just before us making their presentation, it was on herbology. Herbology. Hashish. I'll say it nicely, the cannabis stuff, you know? And I thought, we got to follow this craziness. But you know what? We, we, we were ready. And uh, we, <laughs> the three of us went up on the, the, the platform when it was our turn. The young lady, the, the Christian young lady, she was introducing it. And then she was going to sit down, and then the other young lady was going to get up and introduce me. And so the Christian lady, she got up. This was literally the first words out of her mouth. You're all a bunch of hypocrites. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, don't make them mad before I even get to present. But you know what happened? Every one of those kids, I mean, every one of them slid forward in a chair and leaned on the metal rails in front of them. I mean, she had their attention. She said, you know me. I used to party with you. I used to smoke dope with you. And I gave my life to Jesus a year ago, and you know how he's transformed my life. And you will believe anything, and you are willing to teach anything, but you're not willing to hear about Christianity. You're just a bunch of hypocrites. She had their attention. She turned around and sat down. She came and sat down, and the other girl broke out into tears. And she's crying and sobbing so hard she can't get up. And I thought, what is happening? And so both the other girl and I, we leaned over and said, what's happening? And this is what she said. I know. God is real. Last night I asked him into my heart. Bah! She just started bawling. <laughs> she got herself together enough. She got up and she just quickly introduced me. Just didn't even hardly say anything. Sat down, still crying. I got up. As I went to the microphone, 
in the door to the side came the president of Evergreen State College. A Native American man. I knew his family. And I knew he had been raised in a Pentecostal home. Because his parents and his family were members of our movement. But he had backslidden right after high school and all through his college and university days. He had backslidden. He came and he sat right there. <laughs> and I quickly introduced my topic that I was going to share with them how God had promised healing all the way from the time of Moses when God said, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. And I went through the Old Testament, through the New Testament, just real quickly, just snapshots, went through Christian history snapshots. Then I shared my testimony how at 21 I had been given up to be an invalid the rest of my life and I would never walk again. And how that I had medical documentation of God's miracle in my life that the disease that was eating my body alive, to this day there's no cure for it, but God healed me, and I had medical documentation. I shared, and those, those kids, I mean, they were alive. They were right there. They were still leaning on the railings. They were right there with me. I didn't want, I didn't want anybody to say we took advantage, so I only spoke about 15, maybe 20 minutes max. I got done, and I said, okay, who would like to participate in a demonstration of healing through Christian prayer? Zip, they all slid back in their chairs. <laughs> <laughs> No one wanted to be a part of that. And I said, come on, come on. God will do it right now. Who would be a participant? Finally, one brave guy said, I will. He came on down. And then pretty soon, I will. I had three that said right away. They came down. I didn't stand down there. I just laid hands on them, quickly prayed in the authority of Jesus' name. By the time I got to the second one, the first guy was out loud going, hey, that works. I'm healed. By the time I got to the third one, the second guy was going, yeah, it really does. And then God healed the third guy. And I was going to turn it back to the girls and let them end the class. But before I could, a guy sitting over to my left, right down front, his leg in a cast, sitting in a wheelchair, his leg straight out in a cast. Hey, don't miss me. I want prayer. <laughs> so I went over and I prayed for him. Now, what I did not know is he was the number one soccer player for Evergreen Strait College, and the day before in a soccer game, had blown out his knee. So I prayed for him. We entered the class. I get a phone call late in the afternoon the next day. It's the guy that had originally called me, and he said, you are not going to believe this. I said, what? He said, the campus is alive. I said, what's happening? He said, that guy you prayed for in the cast? Yeah. He came to school today with the cast off, completely healed, and the campus is alive. <laughs> Prayer works. Prayer works. And it's still working today. Come on, we don't have to, we don't have, to have rocket scientists to know that, do we? Just, just look around. Look around our world and how much we need prayer right now. Whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're an in-between, whether you're a pink party, a green party, a red party, a blue party, or any other party, 
You know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look and go, our government is in trouble, and we got really, really weak leadership right now. And we're in trouble. The world is in trouble. The world is in trouble for leaders. We need prayer. Look at our economy. I know our president said this last week that it's only going to cost 16 cents more this time to have the 4th of July picnic. I don't know what store he shops at. But it cost me more than 16, 16 cents more than last year. Yeah, everybody in the room's agreeing, right? <laughs> and, and we're not talking about the gas pumps yet, are we? No. Okay. Yeah. We're not, we're, it's, we are, we're a, a farmers, we're in trouble here in our area, aren't we? I mean, the wheat crops, the grain crops, we're in trouble. Yeah. We're in trouble. Just drive through Morrow County and look at the grain. Drive over the the uh, Horse Heaven Hills, and, 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 and look at the, the grain fields. We're in trouble. We're in trouble. We need prayer. See, I, but more than that, look at marriages. Look at our young people. Look at what they're facing and what they're under right now, the pressure they're under in this hedonistic, sexualized culture. Look at the pressure our young people are under. Look at the pressure our marriages is under. Look at all, and we, we folks, prayer is the only thing that's going to change it. But God gave us a promise. Now, when we read, when we read Joel, I want you to understand that was not the first time God had said that. You go all the way back to King Solomon, when Solomon became king, and he was waiting before God, and he said, God. God, suppose your people turn their back on you. Suppose your people start going after other gods. Suppose we backslide. God, God, what do we do then? And this was God's answer in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. See, God had already gave the answer to Joel through Joel. He's just saying it again. And I want you to know he's saying that to America again right now. America, you are not without hope. America, you are not lost. But my people must pray. Amen. Prayer works. Listen to how the New Testament says it in the book of James. Listen closely. Are any among you suffering? Pray. Let him pray. Hear it again. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Isn't he cheerful? Let them sing psalms. Don't listen to country music. Don't listen to Eminem. Listen to praise music. If you're cheerful, listen to praise music. It's amazing how you can be cheerful and listen to the world's music and get depressed. Depressed. 
I'm just giving you the interpretation of James. Is any among you suffering, let him pray. Is any merry, let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up. If they've committed any sins, they shall be forgiven them. For the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man of like passion as we. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for three and a half years. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave forth their rain, and the earth brought forth its bounty. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual, fervent prayer. Ernegeo. It literally means to have power, to have effective power, to have mighty working power. We get the English word energy from it. Energy that is released. Energy that is in force. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Availeth is literally the word for it works. It works. It works. Prayer works. We are so blessed that you join us online today. For more resources on how you can grow your relationship with Jesus Christ, visit us online at www.winacity.com. If you would like to speak with someone about your relationship with Jesus Christ or would like prayer, you can contact us at 541-567-4486 or email us at info at